0: What's going on, everyone? It's Mitch from respectmerging.com back with another episode of the North America Weed Tour podcast, looking at the best in legal cannabis across the map. I got a special guest today coming out of the heartbeat of, of the cannabis culture man, Jigger Patel of NorCal Cannabis Company. How you doing today, Jigger? I am doing great. Um, appreciate you guys having us on today. Awesome man. You super appreciate you coming on here. I know I know we crossed paths in New York. We were talking about that briefly right before we were live on on the East Coast, but we're we're focused on the West Coast today, man. Um before that's where we it get started, started right? Yeah, 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 exactly. Right right at the heart of the culture and, and before we get too ahead of ourselves, I kick off every episode with my guest origin story around the plant, the plant being cannabis. So whether that's personal, professional, whatever you uh, choose to be vulnerable and sharing. Just curious kind of when you and, and cannabis uh, began your, your journey together.
1: Yeah, man, it's it's funny because I, I started smoking cannabis really, really young. Um, you know, at that time, uh, really opened my eyes to a world that I didn't see exist. You know, I'm an immigrant kid, um, you know, hardworking parents, um, you know, came to America with a very specific plan for their kids, right, which was get an education, go to college, get a job, have a house, have a family. And that was that was the dream. Um, and I think, you know, as I was growing up in America, as, you know, as this kid of immigrant parents, um, I was, you know, uh, hanging out with kids from all other ethnicities and cultures, you know, um, met a lot of really cool dudes. And Um, the Chicagoland area. And and obviously, you know, as an adolescent, stumbled upon cannabis. um, You know, the first few times I tried it, I wasn't really sure if it was for me, but, you know, I think I got the bug pretty quickly and immersed myself in it. And I I think, you know, it did a lot for me early on. And and really one of the biggest things it did for me was open my, um, I would say my eyes and my mind to a whole world that I didn't know existed. And I, I think, it really did transform who I am as a person and and, and who I am today. And, you know, that that initial introduction to cannabis has really influenced my entire life, Um, starting with choosing this as a profession, you know, in my early 20s. So, you know, I I give a lot to the plant and I think that's why I'm so passionate about the legacy, where it comes from and really California cannabis culture.
0: I love that, man. I love that. When when did uh, when did you start? Uh, or when did NorCal Cannabis Company kind of come into existence? What year was that?
1: Yeah, man, you know, formally you can say like the the actual holding company, uh, you know, really came into place, I would say, in 2018 formally. But like the companies that made up NorCal really started in the Prop 215 days and carried on and, and really got their actual formations like in the early 2000s as collectives, right? Mm-hmm. um and i and i think you know the move from that collective into prop 264 and the ability to to really commercialize the business um is what led to the you know the norcal holding company origin story that we see today but you know our roots trace back to you know some of our team members almost as far as 1996 i would say you know my core expertise in california 2003 um but, you know, yeah, NorCal's really made up of a bunch of cultivator industry folks uh, that have been participating in this space uh, long before what you see in
0: modern cannabis. And what are what are the kind of current pro- brands and product offerings that are under the umbrella?
1: Yeah, I mean, today, when you look at who NorCal is, we're a lot different than we were, call it, you know, five years ago, but eerily similar to who we are, who were. 20 years ago um and so you know our core focus is indoor cultivation you know we call home base santa rosa california um in a lot of our eyes we believe california and santa rosa in particular is the home of indoor probably globally if you look back to what was going on here in the late 90s and um in in the mid 2000s it was really undercover but this is where most of the indoor was actually being grown you know, so uh, for us uh, right now, we focus on three kind of flower CPG brands. Uh, you know, our, our primary brand being Lolo. Um, we've got a lifestyle slash kind of California culture brand in One Life. And then our node to uh, Legacy, which is Panacea, which is one of, um, you know, our VP of product here, Justin Benson, who's an, an old school uh, you know, farmer, and I would call him, he loves this term, extract artist. Uh, mm-hmm. one of the OGs from back in the day. So, you know, the brands that we bring to market today are really California focused, but they're focused to different consumer sex uh, segmentations, right? So, like, you know, when we look at Panacea, we're really going after the hardcore, um, I would say, you know, true California OG smoker. When we talk about Lolo, we're talking about the California consumer um That's always been a smoker and is looking for great quality at a great price. And, you know, one life has a little fun and and likes to play in that art culture, skate crossroads.
0: Absolutely. And so it's nice having those market segmentations. And when it came to building those, those brands, was it stuff that kind of was successful you guys had in the market and you realized was successful or were any of those kind of an attempt from the ground up of like, here is a customer base we know is there, let's curate kind of a product and a brand for that customer base.
1: I I think it's a little mix of both and it's, it's really interesting, right? Because what we like to pride ourselves here on is obviously being from the legacy market, um, is our understanding of that market and how it flowed right like there's always a cyclical nature of how cannabis moved throughout the California ecosystem and part of what you see in our brands is really the amalgamation of that right like we are able to look and see what we are doing really well through all these cyclical turns in the market and what works so when you look at a brand like panacea i I equate it to whatever the hypest we had in the old days was was that we would sell in the dispensaries, right? Um, When I look at Lolo, I look at what the power consumer would come in and wanna purchase at the biggest dispensaries. And if you trace back our origins, like we were one of the main indoor providers for some of the biggest uh, dispensaries prior to Prop 64. So when you talk about those 30 and 40 and $50 million dispensaries that were running the California game, we were one of their largest indoor providers. And, And through that, we were able to learn a lot and understand really what the market wanted and then utilizing today's data um, and technology, we're able to create brands that actually fit that consumer market fit.
0: Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's that, that combination of experience and then leveraging the data obviously is kind of a, a recipe for success. And when I look at, know the brands i'm familiar with all of them but lolo seems to be the one that that i feel like is getting the most uh, a a lot of presence right now and obviously like you said it's it's kind of tailored to that consumer that's been around um and and i think a lot of companies in this space kind of forget that that consumer or put out products that clearly don't resonate them whether it's at a price point or the messaging um and kind of say how how do we not win over this consumer but being that you guys have came from this and seen the game evolve you understand that that person's there and for that consumer what do you think is the things that that matter to them most kind of your, your typical low low consumer
1: yeah that that's a great question and you know when you say typical low low consumer it really does run the gamut of who is a low low consumer right and i think we have really identified what matters to that consumer quality um price and consistency, you know, and it's it's not unlike the old days, like look, baiting and switching a consumer or a customer loses you consumers. I don't care if it's somebody buying hundreds of pounds off of you or an eighth off of you. If you sell somebody something that's branded as something, they expect to get what they pay for in that bag. And what we realized with Lolo is if we can continuously present this fresh, high quality product to a consumer at a price that they could handle, It would resonate in california given really how mature this market is right we we did a data segmentation study early on in the in the norcal days when we were involved in other things besides just in their cultivation and that that data told us that the power consumer doesn't care about brand today and while they like hype they are focused on quality consistency and price Mm. and that's what lolo is and 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 the beautiful part about lolo is it it really is it's a no frills brand right what we're able to do and why we're able to do this we're not some giant that's coming in and losing money bringing you flour at that price we're able to utilize our one really good skill set which is is growing high quality indoor cannabis cheaper than anybody in the country and then using our distribution and sales channels to get it to our consumers across california it's pretty simple like we're not over here playing a bunch of uh, like I said, bait and switch games or losing money to do this, we're able to pass on the savings to consumers. We think it's a winning formula, quite frankly. You're seeing it all over the co- the country, right? When you when you read the headlines, like it's price compression, and it's not just California; it's everywhere. And we, you know, the thought on board for us is, you know, if, if we if we can win in California, which we consider the hardest market in the world, then that really does show the world we're able to do in markets like Illinois, or New Jersey, or New York, or even internationally. And we think that this is what the market looks like, you know, a lot sooner than a market that uh, looks more like, say, in Illinois, where you have really a lot of control from the the big boys, right?
0: Absolutely. And Something that's funny is like, you know, we see these, or for me personally, I see people talking about price compression, right? And and just supply and demand. We saw it obviously Rec Oregon was a little bit earlier than California. So we saw it in Oregon, we saw it in Washington, we saw it in California, Oklahoma, even though our medical, they probably dealt with it the most just due to lax regulations. But I see, you know, the impending oversupply in Massachusetts is coming and that obviously drives the price per pound down. Um, but it's something like, if you've been in the legacy market, We've seen the same thing before the shit was legal. There was floods that affected pricing and, like you said, delivering quality. Pricing and consistency are those three pillars that, whether this is medical, whether this is wreck or this is completely black, this has applied to the game, and we've kind of seen those things. So, what is that? What does that experience for you guys mean to see this kind of, whether it's medical or, or traditional legacy, whatever keyword you want to call it, but seeing this kind of before it's wreck and then watching people flounder in this wreck market, do you feel kind of prepared? Like, man, we we're just seeing the legal version of what we've already seen before, or is it kind of a whole new ball game? Well, look, it's a, it's a brand new ball game, right? Anytime you introduce obviously something like this industry
1: has gone through over the last five years, there's a lot of different kind of quagmires that happen within that. But I, I, I you are 100% right that we rely on our historical knowledge of what happens during seasons, right? When things were good two years ago, we looked at each other, you know, Justin Benson and I, and we're like, oh, shit, this isn't going to last. What's the downside look like? And that's why we created, we, we Lolo had always been sitting there, but we we didn't have a need to actually push it as much because people were paying for either premium bulk from us or our premium brands. We couldn't keep that in stock but we looked and saw what was happening. We saw how many girls were coming online. We saw what was happening in the market. We knew what was gonna happen kind of when the COVID restrictions came up. And we, you know, in April of 2020, when most people were digging or not really digging and they were they were really pumped about the price points that they were seeing on bulk, we took an opposite view and said, we better start putting stuff into branded flour and building a brand. And so we were able to do that basically. Um, by not overcharging for that brand and becoming more and more efficient at what we did from getting a bulk pound into a Lolo bag and getting into the consumers on a production schedule that kept stuff really, really fresh. And I think that's one of the secrets that people don't talk about. Um, and, and I think it's a dirty little secret in the game is like, this is a perishable good. And if you want to move high volume cannabis, you need to be able to actually have a production schedule that meets the demands of your distribution network. and. You know, I'm saying these things and it falls on a lot of deaf ears, but for us, like we've been doing this you know, a decade plus, and we understand how this works. We understand that if you sit on product for over a month and then you hit the market, guess what? A week in, somebody's asking you for a discount. It doesn't move in, in a week, guess what? They're asking for a bigger discount, right? There's so many things in this game that the historical knowledge that came from people that actually did this have, and, and that is what we should be leaning into, right? I, instead of complaining about all the advantages of everybody else and what money and this and that, like, forget about them. What can we do better? And I think that's what mm-hmm. we at NorCal really pride ourselves on is like, Hey man, we've been through this. You know, we walk around here and we joke about what what the market's like right now because we've seen it before, right? There's nobody in our, on our crew or on our team, even in the office that's like, we've seen this. We've had people that have never been in cannabis, but have been with us in the office from 2015, you know, so they've been in this almost seven years. So that's fifty years in cannabis. Like uh, we have secretaries around here that understand, you know, literally the cyclical nature and are and are speaking the same language. It's it's really cool to watch this company in action from that that standpoint.
0: Yeah, and and that's that, that that historical whether it's data or or gut instinct, intuition, whatever you know, life experience, right, is speaks volumes in this space. And I think that's a a big part of why you guys have been successful. So, you know, for you guys is like revenue has made quite quite a big jump in three years. You know, they, they kicked me over some figures that, that it raised from two two million annually to seven million. in of course of three years, what were some of the leading factors to, to grab that level of growth?
1: Yeah, I mean, our original,
0: you know, rocket ship was pretty crazy,
1: right? When we first started NorCal, you know, we really believed in direct to consumer. We we're big proponents of that retail model. Um, so at that time we'd actually set out with our partners ease at that time who were, weren't plant touching. Um, and while we were also really big in indoor cultivation, we had also become the largest delivery company really at that time in the world. Um, if you give given the market size of California. So we had like, you know, sh- oh, God, who knows? We were probably facilitating thousands of deliveries a day. Um, you know, and in doing so, um, we were really able to like understand what was happening right on that consumer side translated that to what was happening really on the flower side and we were able to you know at that time we went from 3 million to 70 million in revenue in less than three years which is pretty crazy mm-hmm. um when covet hit we had to take a hard look at what that business line did um and we left delivery so you know we basically now as we stand are about a 50 million dollar flower business in california but you know getting to that scale from three to 50 in that short span was not easy uh, a lot of blood sweat and tears um but that's a true testament again that you're gonna keep hearing me say it are people like um there is no one person here or one team that does it it's really the entire norcal team that truly understands kind of our North Star as being the most efficient indoor cultivators, um, really gives us that heads up into bringing brands that matter to life. And, you know, I think as long as we continue to do that, we'll have a place in this industry.
0: And and following in, like, you know, like you said, when the market was great and you guys were like, all right, we need to approach this with caution, right? I can't remember who it was, Warren Buffett or whatever. There's that, there's that classic line where it's like when others are greedy. <laughs> you know, seek calmness when everyone else is calm. That's when, you know, you need to be greedy There's some sort of investment, I don't know, saying out there. So it seems like you guys have that kind of that gut instinct, that historical um, knowledge. What are some other indicators you look at for the market to feel like a shift or a change is coming beyond kind of just seeing it previously?
1: Well, I mean, we're constantly looking at competition in terms of what's on the market, where people uh, look there's a lot of very innovative people in the space right so you're constantly seeing where that innovation is and what we study a lot is supply chains and really like costs like like any other business like you know while you may see a product on the shelf if we know that that project product doesn't have longevity because of the way that that, that supply chain is set up we like to look and say can we set up a better internal supply chain can we utilize our partners to set up a better supply chain can we bring this product to, to life better than somebody, or or, and can we do it more efficiently, right? So like, we're constantly doing product innovation, but also when we do product innovation, isn't just like, hey, I wanna create this. It's really like, hey, is there a consumer need for this? Mm -hmm. Is somebody fulfilling this in the market? If they are, are they touchable? Like, are they doing something so good that it doesn't matter for us to do it? And and you should have learned that, you know, given the last five years where everybody tried to do everything, right? At some at, at one point here we had all kinds of plans you know for an extraction lab we had a rosin lab at one time we've done all that and what we realize is we're really good at what we do and our partners are really good at what they do and our unique ability to actually maintain strong partnerships with partners that are like-minded and think about the world the same way we do allows us to bring these products to market because we don't have to have this crazy infrastructure to do it we can partner with more efficient operators to bring products that matter to the market. So. You know i think that's one of the things that we do really well in terms of understanding the market i think you know we spend a lot of time understanding regulation and compliance and understanding where that pro- where the problems may arise not only for us but others trying to bring similar products to market um you know and i think for us we spend a lot of time really with with what i call kind of our our feedback loop between our sales and production team where our sales team is constantly in the market talking to buyers and consumers and giving us, you know, their finger on the pulse of what's happening. And unlike many other organizations I've seen in the cannabis space, we actually rely on that, right? Like our sales guys and our our field ambassadors need to have an open forum to tell us what's happening. I have a weekly meeting, right, where I want to hear what they're hearing you know, out in the field. And when you look at California and the size of the market, what's awesome about that and why we think this gives a great kind of, um, you know, head start to the rest of the country is California is, you know, you could say it's anywhere from, call it five to eight different states Mm -hmm. on the way that they function in both buying habits from the buyers and the stores, but the consumers and the economics that drive those areas. Um, so we get a lot of internal data just from this state that we can then apply to other regions throughout the country as we decide to move uh, into other markets.
0: And on that first point, you were talking about, you know, sticking to what you do best as, a, as an entrepreneur. And, you know, I'm not quite sure the level of creativity that you personally hold, but obviously launching brands and being an entrepreneur, there's a creative element to that. And both being a, a business owner and being a creative, Uh, I feel like there's this never-ending tug at like starting new things, chasing shiny objects or squirrels, right? Or getting inspired. What if we do this? What if we add that? You know, it's, we're plagued by not, (laughs) it's, it's difficult to stay in a singular model and just stay there and not get distracted. What are some of those ways that whether it's yourself Personally or, or internally, as a group, that you guys stay focused and not get lost in the sauce trying to chase all the new things.
1: You know, I think that because we've been a victim of chasing the shiny new object, the mentality in the heads that worn here is don't chase it and focus. But what we, what we, you know, in doing so, that was really great to like muscle through the really tough times. And I think we're doing, you know, as good a job as anyone muscling through right now. Um, but it doesn't mean you take your eye off what the prize is. This industry is still so nascent, right? There's still so much more growth. The the, the possibilities are still endless. It's it, it's in our best interest to make sure that we are still far forward thinking, or you can't just get caught up in what you're doing and say, hey, I'm the best at this, and this is all I'm gonna do, and I'm never gonna do anything else. I, I think what we've done recently is really put in a new BD team. Um, we were able to bring uh, Joe Andre, who used to be uh, the CEO of Field, formerly uh, was a VP over at Glasshouse, who's been kind of on the cutting edge of extracts to come lead our products team along with Justin Benson. Um, And I think what we've done is built a really good internal BD team that both can work on products and partnerships here um, that allows us to actually look at things that are outside of our core capabilities and look for things that make a lot of sense for us without having the entire team shift its focus there so we've put some i would say um better parameters around how we think about business development and really skew development around here
0: and what does it look like for you i I know you said looking at the market when bringing a new skew out it's like is there a need is there a competition there as you find skews that become successful obviously other people are going to mimic that or go after you know it's very rare that you're going to be the singular person going after a a a skew or a a gap in the marketplace. As that competition heats up, what are some of the ways to that you kind of assess? Hey, is this going to continue to be viable and be like stay competitive in, in those those particular lines?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think what we realize is that from the NorCal perspective, because of our efficiencies at what we do, give us so much more um, margin. We only look at products that we know that. Our competitive advantage makes sense for us to do right so like again we're not going you know the middle of the shelf doesn't make sense for us but the top and the bottom do for a lot of really strong reasons which are because again back to our efficiencies we're able to put better product in what we would look at in the good if you went good better best you know our goal is to always have the best good at the best price our goal Mm -hmm. is to always have the best better at the best price and our and our goal is always have the best at the best price. You take that and you combine, again, what we talked about, consistency, uh, you know, and quality. Yeah, I think that's the winning formula, like anything else. And and we don't think brands are going to be born overnight. You're going to have to continually do this over and over again to get mind share from uh, today's consumer. And, and, And if there's anything that we know about a cannabis consumer is they're not easily fooled, right? These are smart individuals that pride themselves on not being duped
0: absolutely like you said it's it, once it, once you crack open that bag it's hard to deny it if you're a real cannabis consumer you know you could whatever no matter what it looks like or what the hype was going after once it's open the bag it's yeah it's gonna speak for itself well and look
1: and i think we've sometimes got to get out of our own head right like i remember like I, I i'm the guy that wouldn't you know i wouldn't smoke anybody's i wouldn't touch anybody else's joint or you know, i only smoke Are we like I, I think we have to get out of this just always thinking about heady and realizing that this this product, while still for the culture and still for the people that have always been a part of it, there's a lot of people that really enjoy it and want to be part of it. They want to be part of the smoking culture. They want to learn the history. They want to learn, you know, what makes something good, what makes something quality. What should I be looking for when I do it? And and I think that if we get so caught up in just only thinking about hype and not thinking about how we can bring more commercial smokers in, we're doing ourselves a disservice to the industry. Mm
0: absolutely and when it comes to that on that conversation of quality right like there's there's a couple different boxes that have to be checked in most people's opinions um which one you know like bag appeal nose high right there's a couple of those flavor what what is you if you have to pick one of them you know you got to pick one what's your ultimate indicator of quality for you personally
1: for me personally it's all about flavor and profile right like i i still smoke By by rolling joints every day. Like, Hmm. that's my preferred method. Um, But I understand the consumer, right? Having done this really most of my adult life, and I'm 45, right? Like, I understand why somebody's not gonna wanna buy a bag, why they really wanna buy a bag, why they're gonna overpay for this bag. Um, And and I think, again, for us, is getting to a standard that everybody can appreciate. So that, like, when you open a bag that's priced in this category, you know exactly what you're getting right? And why it's a value. And when you go one up, what are you getting for that value? So like when we look at it, and, that, and this is really the, you know, when we think of our cultivation and our house of brands, we really look at ourselves as a platform, right? Mm-hmm. Where the plant really at its essence is the beginning of it. And we grade it into different categories and that grade. So Lolo, you know, while you may open up a, a bag of Lolo and it might exceed your expectations, it should never, you should never open up a bag and be like, man, these guys screwed me right like and i think that when you open up a bag of lolo and then you take that to the one life brand you're going to see that hey the one life brands oh there's not as many smalls in here and again that's not for everyone the consumer has told us that you know really tiny buds you should smell for less than medium-sized buds Mm -hmm. you and i both know that if we're grinding it up like sometimes you might want the smaller buds right Like, again like these are things that we While we try and educate, we don't have control over how the consumer thinks about them today. And it's going to be a long haul to get there. But, you know, in the meantime, what we can do is at least meet that consumer demand. You know, and for our really high-end brands, it's like we do extra things. Like we make sure they're completely hand-trimmed by the right trimmers that, you know, they've been through QC like everything else multiple times, um, that that particular terpene profile is one that is sought after today. Like, there are differentiators between each of these price points It's just knowing that what those differentiators are and sticking to it so that your consumer can always say, this is what this product means to me.
0: Mm. Um, yeah, no, I, I can't, I can't agree anymore. And it's definitely about meeting or, you know, meeting or exceeding consumer consumer expectations, right? That's definitely a big part of this. Um, with With noticing, like you said, you noticed that there was kind of going to be this shift when we look at last year, the top end product. It was just seemed like no one could grow enough. That price point was crushing. I'm sure on the wholesale level, I'm we more so look at the consumer level, but I know across multiple states, it was like the top shelf was just cleaned out of inequality everywhere It didn't matter price. I was seeing I live in Washington. We were seeing prices we'd never seen for limited batches, no problem selling out. We obviously have shifted you know twenty twenty two saw a shift from that happening to you know, it's still out there it exists that that top shelf consumer, I think is still more prevalent than in years past. But obviously, we're moving more to that value base. Do you think that trend continues in 2023? Is there any other shifts without giving too much, you know, com, you know, juice away for competitors? But what, what are some of those shifts that you might anticipate or, or trends that we're going to see this next year?
1: Yeah, I think in I think in the kind of post COVID world, what you saw was a lot of what I call the better. So the middle of the indoor category was full, and you see that today, right? There's so many brands competing in in the middle, um, and, and that's really a result of you know the amount of product that there is in the market. Um, you know, and like I stated earlier, I believe that the value category, as everybody else. You know we believe that that value category is going to continue to grow but that value consumer is going to start looking for a better value product hmm. you know i think what they're realizing when they find lolo is like holy cow i can buy this and it's quality indoor for the price that i was paying for mediocre outdoor or mediocre greenhouse like so what you're going to see is that value consumer is going to start actually looking for better and better product i also think that you're going to start seeing really high-end brands differentiate themselves because they have learned from mistakes from the past that you can't put out millions of pounds of high-end product it doesn't exist right so what you better put out there is stuff that people are going to pay more for because it is that much better um for too long people got away with putting mediocre product in fancy jars with fancy people backing it and, and charging more for it it doesn't work anymore you know and you're seeing those brands have to bogo their product today um and I think the last piece that you're gonna see is something we pay a lot of attention to, and I've said it a few times in the last half hour, you know, is really speed to market freshness. Um, you know, I'm sure you, like me, don't wanna smoke year old product or two month or three month old product when you have fresh product ready to be smoked that, that just tastes better. Um, so I think that you're gonna see a general shift in, in the way products brought to market batch sizing all of those things. And what you'll start to see is the evolution of craft at the top. And I think commercialization in that better and good
0: quality. Yeah, those are those are some some pretty some pretty good predictions that I think are pretty in line with what we're seeing. Um, you know, for people out there that that want more information of, of what Jigger and, and team are up to, NorCal can with two N's.com. Anything else you want to plug, Jigger, before I get you up out of here?
1: No, man, love what you guys are doing. I love that you pay attention to to the folks that have been at it for a while, keep doing what you do. We appreciate uh, we appreciate you guys still keeping it keeping it strong for the culture.
0: Thank you, man. Try, try you know trying trying to report on what we see and uh, def- definitely make sure that there's a, a place there for those that deserve to be there. You know, we've been doing this media thing in the music realm for a while, and that that was always a big part of what we did there and. And as cannabis legalized and we moved into that world, it's been a big part. You know, obviously we've got to report on everything, whether it's mainstream, small, whatever. But, you know, we're always going to have that special place in our heart and try and provide a platform for for those that have been there and those that we that we think continue to deserve to be there for sure.
1: Well, thanks for having me on, Mitch. We're uh, we're happy to still be here and still fighting uh, for NorCal and our people.
0: I love that, man. I love that. So people out there, like I said, uh, norcalcan.com, find some more information, check out that Lolo Panacea, One Life on shelves around California. If you guys want more information, shoot shoot us a message. We'll tap you guys in. This is the North American Weed Tour podcast. I think we have another episode or two on Friday. I think just one more this week on Friday. So you guys stay tuned. Follow us, Spotify, Apple, anywhere you listen to podcasts. We will be back with more content soon.